Montebello Church Sermons. It's so good to be with you. We have missed you. This has been quite a difficult time. And I want to talk to you about difficulties. The Word of God has some very express things to say that when you face difficulties, don't become discouraged. Hebrews chapter 12 puts it this way, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. That's the issue. The Hebrew Christians in this time that the letter was written were becoming discouraged and they were losing heart and they wanted to give up. Reminds me of the story that has become very famous that Winston Churchill told in the school where he had gone in his grade school and in that he was asked to speak, so he came, and here he is, the Prime Minister of New of England, and they said, what is this man going to say? And when he spoke, he says, this is what I want to say to you. Never, never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or, large or petty, never give up, except to consider honor or good sense, Never yield to force. Never give in to an overwhelming enemy. Never give up. And so this was during the time of the Second World War and when London had bond, been bombed for 10 months straight. And at the end of that, he says, never give up. And he says, by this, we have been able to persevere. And in persevering, we have conquered. And this is the way the story continued to go. So even as Winston Churchill said to the people, never give up, Paul is saying to the Christians, never give up because difficulties will come. Now, as he says, I want you to consider the opportunities that sinful men have suffered and even Christ himself suffered because there was always opposition and they were always coming after Jesus and they were trying to, to make fun of him. They were trying to undermine him. They were saying that his miracles were real. They claimed that he was a demon, and yet he just faithfully kept persevering. And he says, so likewise, this is what's going to happen to those that are my children. There is going to be suffering in life, and in life we're going to have difficulties. He says, how do we handle them? That's the issue that's before us. He says, first of all, your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He's saying things are bad, but they could get worse. He says you haven't shed blood yet. And Jesus actually gave his blood from the opposition of the people that were against him. But he's saying to these people, you have suffered a lot, but you haven't come to the place where you've had to give your life. And there may come that time where the issue is so bad that people will feel like they're going to lose their life. But he says, don't give up. Just keep persevering because there is victory in persevering. And then he says to them, furthermore, understand that your sonship proves who you are, that you are a child of God. When disciplines come into your life, don't get discouraged. He says this way in chapter 5, verse 4 of chapter 12, and you forgot the word of encouragement that address you as sons. My sons, do not make light the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes everyone he accepts as sons. 
It was interesting. One day, Randy and Terry came in when they were children, and they said they were amazed because here was this neighbor, kind of a free spirit guy. He could do anything he wanted. And they said, well, we can't do that because our parents will discipline us. And he made this statement. He just stopped there. And he says, discipline. He says, I wish there was someone in my life that loved me enough to discipline me. And we were shocked by that. But then we realized it is a privilege to be disciplined. And the writer of the book of Hebrews goes on to say that hardship and difficulty will come because there is always discipline. He says, look at a father. He disciplines his son. Why does he discipline his son? Because his son is his own. He doesn't discipline the neighbor kids. He disciplines his own son because his own son is his own and because he cares for them. He goes and says, if you're not being disciplined and you're just going through life and there's no one that stop you, no one correct you, no one coming in and disciplining you, he says, then you're illegitimate. He says, no one wants to be that way. But if you're being disciplined, it's because you're a son and God is our father. God is our father and he disciplines us. And so he takes us through times of difficulty. And he says, I want you to know that you are truly sons because I discipline you. He says, our human fathers, we respect them when they discipline us. They may not always be right. Sometimes they are wrong. And he says, they may discipline you and they may do it wrongly. Well, we don't say amen to that. That would not, not very good. But then he says, when your heavenly father disciplines you, it's always right. Always. It's never wrong. It's always what's good for us. And so he's saying to us, don't be discouraged that hardships come because he allows his children to be disciplined because he loves them and he cares for them and he wants them to be trained. He says the purpose for this is that we are able to be trained and we can learn through this suffering how it is that we're supposed to respond to God. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give him and give us all things with Christ? And then he says, when he talks to Jeremiah, Jeremiah was complaining, life is too hard, so difficult. And finally God said to Jeremiah, how will you do if you compete against horses? He says, you're worn out and you're disgusted because you've run against footmen and you find that very hard. He says, what will it be like if you have to compete against horses? And then he says, if you are living in an easy land and the Jordan River floods, what are you going to do? He is saying, this is a part of life that difficulties come. It was Francis Ridley Havergal that says, God has not promised skies always blue. Our strewn pathways all our life through. There are going to be difficulties that come into our life. And so he is saying there are hardships and they must come because they prove your sonship and you will learn by them and you will learn to walk with the Lord the way you should and so even as Churchill said to us, never, never, never give up because the Christian life is not a picnic. There will be difficulties. There will be struggles. And he says, you have struggled not to the point of sin, rather not to the point of death, but there may come that the suffering will be so great that you are giving your life 
and your lifeblood for that. So life is difficult. But he says there's a second reason that these comes in come in. A second reason is trials come into our life so that God might show the adequacy of the indwelling Christ. He, here is an issue. People go and say, how do we handle this life? He wants us to demonstrate that Christ's power and his indwelling presence is adequate for dealing with life. And so we're not supposed to take it lightly, but we need to look at the bright side of it and understand that these difficulties are there to help us and to drive us closer to the Lord. So the second point that we want to make in verse 9, and this is still the 12th chapter, we have these words. Moreover, we all have human fathers who discipline us, and we respect them. However, much more should we submit to the earthly father, our heavenly father, and have life. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained. And he says, this is what I want. I want you to go through these difficulties so you're trained by them and you learn to respect your heavenly father who loves you as a child and he's going to bring you through these difficulties. The Christian life is needs to be defined this way. The Christian life is completely fearless, continually cheerful, and constantly in trouble. There is going to be difficulty. Now God says, when you have these difficulties, he says, I don't want you to screw on a smile and say, hallelujah, it hurts, but rather, hallelujah, it helps. It's going to produce in me the fruits of righteousness as we go through these trials and these difficulties, if you're always grousing and complaining and griping when trials come along, you never grow by that. You never learn and you never become mature. You say, well, isn't it Satan that's attacking me? No, it's God that's allowing it. He may allow Satan to use that. And he is the one that allows the difficulties to come. But God does it because he loves us and wants to train us to be more like Christ. And so we learn that the indwelling Christ is there to give us his power. He says in verses 10 through 17, he says, No discipline seems pleasant for the time, but is painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who are trained by it. And then he goes on in verse 12, and he says, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level the path for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but may be healed. And he is saying there, these difficulties and trials come so that they can work out the difficulties, so we learn how not to be defeated by these difficulties that come. And we learn to depend upon the indwelling life of Christ. Now, Christ died on the cross. He paid the penalty. But he comes and he says, as you die to yourself and to your old life, then you are actually raised to a relationship with Christ where the life of Christ actually comes in. Now, there's several reasons that we can, we can, we can pervert the, the will of God and God working in us. And these difficulties come 
Number one, we can have bitterness in our life. Now those bitternesses, those difficulties, those things where people don't appreciate us and we can't forgive them and we find that we are able to hold a grudge against them, that holding an unforgiving spirit is a terrible mistake because bitterness is never of the spirit. Bitterness is always of the flesh. And when the flesh is there and working, then it, it seems as though Satan is winning when we have this bitter, angry spirit. So bitterness always leads to destruction. Bitterness always leads to difficulty. Now the problem with bitterness, the bitterness that we have here listed in this passage, is that it is contagious. If someone is griping and complaining and grousing around, then that will be passed on to others. And we will find that there in the church will be a community of people who are complaining more and more and more. And God says, never, never allow bitterness to come into your life. If someone offends you, you go to them and you make it right. You go and get it straightened out. Because what you're doing is the grace of God is not able to work in your life. And you say, but I want the grace of God to work in my life. Well, then you have to quit griping and complaining and allow the disciplines to come and cause you to have a sweet spirit. And from that, you are able to learn that this bitterness can be put aside. Now, there's a second thing, and that can be that we will have a frivolity of spirit, a light, a light spirit, uh, a spirit where we look at life and say, oh, those things are not important to me. And that was the problem with Esau. Esau was the oldest. He should have been the one that had the birthright. But you see, the birthright was the promise to Abraham that a seed would come. There came a day where Esau went to his father and said, oh, now I want the birthright. But it was too late. It couldn't be come to him. You see, what had happened, he was out in the field. He came into the kitchen and there was Jacob he was cooking red lentils, and that looks so good to Esau. Esau says, I want some of that soup. I want some of that red lentil. He has one of the, the, the poorest puns in Scripture where he said, he said literally to Jacob, he says, I want that red for this red, and pointed to his red beard. I want that red to be my red. And that pun that he gave was the thing that cost him the birthright because he said, the birthright's not important to me. So he sold it for a mess of pottage. And when he went back and said, I want to change my mind, the father said, it's too late. There are some things that happen when we make a decision and then it's too late. It's like a couple that have found themselves living in immorality and they say, oh, this is terrible. I want to go back. Well, God forgives. Yes, God forgives and can restore. But you cannot take it back. You cannot take that virginity back and be pure once again. You can be holy and God can forgive. But you cannot undo it because it's so serious. We never need to look at those things as being frivolous. And this is what Jacob did with Esau. Esau took a light view concerning the inheritance of God. So we have the inheritance. Suffering comes to show our sonship. 
Difficulties come that we might demonstrate the power of Christ in our lives. And that's so important because the indwelling person of Christ comes to give us his power to enable us to live by grace. And so the grace of God begins to work in our life. Now we come to likewise an amazing passage. He says in verse 18, Have not have not the mountains been touched by burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words <clears throat> that those who heard it begged that no further words be spoken? Now he's talking about the fire. He's going to talk about an amazing thing. He's going to say God's work. There are things that God does where he's going to shake the whole world. And you say, what are we talking about here? Well, I've often wondered about that because I was amazed at this passage. And I say, well, God shook the mountain and that was amazing. But And God said, I will not speak anymore that way. And they spoke to Moses. But he said that was a, such a terrible experience. Even Moses said the trauma of that earthquake, that shaking was even frightening for him. But he says, now God has spoken from heaven and God is saying things today to our time. And what he is really saying, those things that we so often depend upon, those things we look to, that we find our security in, he says, God, I'm going to come along and I'm going to shake them all. And you say, how does that work? Well, it works this way. You may be, have your faith in money. If we have enough money, we can solve any problem. But when it came to the, the, the pandemic, we could not solve it with money. And you can have all the money in the world and you still have the plague. You have people dying and there's so little that they can do about it. And so they say, well, the answer is that we need to be better organized. And so we have better organization and we put that organization together. And yet, even though we are well organized in this whole pandemic, we continue to have people die. You say, well, the answer is in science. And you say, yeah, this is this is something that we worship as our as a country. Oh, if we just have the right scientists. And yet, when it comes to this pandemic, did science solve it? They have not yet. I hope that they will. We hope that they come up with the vaccine. And yet we're still right in the middle of this pandemic. And, and with all of our scientists, with all of them working day and night and paid good amount of money, they still are not able to solve this problem. And we're having to live with it. And God's saying, look at this. Why are you looking to all of men's devices, to money, to organization? Why are you looking to men in science when it's none of these things will help because there's only one thing, and that's God. And so the people, instead of turning to science and turning to money and turning to organization, they need to turn to the Lord. He is the only one. He says, I'll shake the whole earth and you will realize there is nothing that is secure. Now, here's the beauty, and this is the conclusion of the whole thing. He says, look at what is shaken. You see, fire comes, and it burns, and it destroys anything that can be destroyed. But when it can't destroy, it purifies. And so the fire comes, 
And this is where the writer of the Hebrews says, Our God is a consuming fire. He burns up all the dross, and all you have is the purity that comes from all of these things. And this is the new covenant ministry that comes. Job put it this way, He knows the ways that I take. And when he has tested me, he will bring me forth as gold tried in the fire. May we be like Job. May we be tried in the fire that we might be the pure and the unadulterated thing. Because our God is a consuming fire. And after it's all over and done, everything is shaken. The only thing that stands is our relationship with God. And our relationship with God is right and perfect and holy and pure because he's brought us through these trials to bring us to this day where he's able to show that he is a consuming fire and he will consume all else. And it is our privilege to say we are victorious in Christ. We are winners and we don't have to give up. We can stand no matter what the circumstances are. Thank you for being with us, and may you be encouraged during this time and encourage one another to realize that our Heavenly Father is in control of all things, and our lives are dependent on Him, and He will bring us through victorious. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you. We are concerned about many of the difficulties that are taking place, but we're saying, Lord, it's not that we have some gimmick that men can use to bring about success, but we're quartered into you. We turn ourselves to you. You are our strength and you are our stay. And you are the one that shakes the whole world, but we as your children are not the ones that are shaken. We live in a world where all of these things that men have put their faith in crumbles and falls because you have shaken them all. You've not only shaken the earth, but you have shaken heaven. And there's only one thing that lasts, and that is that perfect which you have done. It's incredible, Lord, that we can have a relationship with you, that when everything else is falling apart, our relationship with you is right and healthy, and you are pleased with our lives because we can confess our sin to you and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we stand before you pure and clean, victorious and triumphant in you. And we give you the glory and we give you the praise. Amen. The Lord bless you and be with you and encourage you during these days. Never, never, never give up. God's in control in your life and in my life. Amen. Montebello Church Sermons.